Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift Platinum Edition. If you're wondering what I'm on about, this is our 20th episode and a modern gift for the 20th anniversary is platinum. So be that platinum of the metal kind or platinum of the Pokemon kind, we'll leave it up to you. As usual, I'm joined in the studio by my co-hosts, Mitch and Scott. Hey, hey. Hey. On today's episode, we're talking video games that are so bad, they might even... Be good. Almost guilty pleasures, if you will. Yes, and for this week's interview. I'm Fabian Malabello, and I'm the director of the Otherworld Agency. Yeah, Fabian brings video game devs and music creators together, and we talk to him about what's involved when bringing sound into a game. And finally, Mitch. Yeah, so finally we'll be talking about the changing attitudes of gamers as they get older and how do they approach the games they play. All that and more on today's 20th episode of Pixel Sift. Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. Now, as people get older, their motivations change, and the things that they once found important as, as a young child uh, tend to fade away. And new research coming out of Quantic Foundry uh, has shown that that motivations for gamers change as well. Isn't that right, Mitch? Yeah, so they found that over time that like the priorities of gamers in regards to certain aspects of their gaming lives actually kind of shift, just like, you know, attitudes towards everything else in life. So um, they found, interestingly enough, we've got a couple of things here, competitive nature is something that really fizzles out in regards to gamers as they get older. Yeah. So, how many people did they survey to, to sort of find these results? Yeah. So, they, they've they surveyed roughly, I think, about 200,000 people so far. I think, wait, hang on, it's a bit more than that. Hang on. It's uh, 100, I think it was about yeah. 144, and I think more people yeah. sign up and do it all the time, basically. Yeah. But it's a self-reported sort of um, survey. That yeah. was the number that was on the site, but I'm pretty sure it's more mm. by now. Yeah. Um, also, a couple of other things. Um, yeah, so, I guess the... Gamers' gender is actually pretty much split down the middle, only slightly favoring the male side. Um, that's also kind of interesting. I did read a stat uh, from 2014, I believe, that said that the, in the UK, um, the percentage of gamers did outweigh uh, 52% to the females. Just slightly overtaking. Really? I thought okay. that was just I'll jump in with that interesting fact. I thought that was good. Yeah. It's interesting because with this particular thing, it's a survey that people kind of click on and, and do their own sort of, um, you know, they sign up themselves basically to do it. So for people who there's a, probably a difference between people who self-identify as a gamer versus someone who is we would technically consider a gamer, someone who plays games. Mm. And there's been some research about this that um, 
there are a large proportion of women who play games, but they don't necessarily identify with the label of, of gamer. For various reasons. For various that, reasons. That, that, well, not bad, but all the other things, that could, the baggage that comes along with being a gamer. There can be lots of things for that. But yeah. So I guess yeah. the, the interesting fact that's come out of this is as they've done lots of different sort of profiles on people who do these um, particular uh, gaming profiles to sort of see what thing, sort of things people are interested in, but they've just the trend basically um, shows a pretty clear uh, uh, sort of trend throughout as people kind of get older throughout their lives. Yeah, they just don't seem to want to, I guess, compete against each, against each other as much as they used to. So is yeah. multiplayer uh, com- com- competitive gaming? Is that a is that a young person's game? I guess so. If you th- if you if you these stats to be believed, but like something that still like everyone seems to be across the board with old or young seems to be strategy. Everyone seems to value it pretty high on the list of you know priorities regarding games and attitudes i think it's one of those things that is uh, i guess an enduring trait of many different games and can be in sort of lots of different ways and you know someone could read it and say oh look strategy is you know like real-time strategy games or turn-based strategy games or something like that but there are lots of strategies that you can use in all sorts of different games for example you know take a game like dark souls for example where you've got such a you know a limited uh, amount of life and you have to play in a particular strategic way um, and even if you're not playing a you know a multiplayer strategy, you will need to employ strategies in order to get the best and get what you want out of games. Yeah, like regarding, and then also something else they've realized is that overall motivation for gamers actually tends to decline. So they can tend to become less passionate, I guess, as it goes along. That's all right. I mean, some people grow out of hobbies and interests. Like, I mean, I very much doubt that's going to happen with us, I'd say. But, you know because games are going to keep evolving and whatever but like the way I felt about games 10 years ago v now is is a huge difference you know like especially when I started I was up for any type of game uh you know for as lo- for any duration of time kind of thing like even a few years back with Skyrim like when that first came out I was all about it all into it and then you know I lose I lose legs quicker these days with games I don't know if it's a uh, we're being too spoilt and it's like an oversaturation or something, but it takes more f- to hold me into video games these days. Uh, and, you're, and you're right with the real-time strategy thing. I feel that's a great example. I'm more, even though I've always loved that kind, that uh, genre of gaming, I'm more uh, into it now because of my ability to just uh, play, <laughs> play with myself, so to speak. Play, uh, play a short game that yeah. you don't need to wor- rely on other people to be um, jumping in on it. I find with uh, you know games as you you go along and any hobby really that you kind of have like, you kind of go in a bit of a cycle. You go up and down in in your interests and things like that. And if you are playing a competitive game, you can't sort of that doesn't mesh with yeah, most com- hobbies because you need to be fully into it and you need to commit to it. Because a competitive game where you have to keep on top of stuff and improve your skills, if you stop. You get left behind and then the game isn't There's a certain amount of investment that has to be, I guess, committed to when you play a competitive game and you really want to be top of, you know, that particular tier. And I guess guess it's also like the younger someone is, the more disposable time they have. Also, like they're not really working and they're not really... Yeah, and your interests are still things that are, um, I guess, uh, more aimed at that kind of age you know like Mm -hmm. as you get older you only have more things to worry about and you know have to deal with in your life whereas when you're a kid you can kind of focus on video games as like your priority number one but real-time strategy is a really good example i feel like when i was younger i used to play the crap out of total annihilation like pretty competitively just within my friends because you know dial-up was pretty poor back then but now like i want to play the same games rts style but i'm more into you know designing a really nice kind of uh 
a fort and whatever and have everything in, in neat little positions and have my walls up around my city and stuff. And I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that now, I guess, compared to when I was younger. I used to play uh, a lot of uh, online multiplayer games. And that big thing for me was that you were either competing with your friends and some of your friends now as you kind of get to a different age brackets, maybe don't play the same games as you or they'll play on different things. So, you know, if you haven't got those people there to kind of pull you along with it and you haven't all got the time to kind of devote to it, you don't tend to put the same amount of time in for, yeah. for these things. I found it interesting how some of, the, some of the stats pointed towards that older gamers care more about single player and not playing with other people and like not being competitive. But like with things like achievements, it kind of makes the single player campaign kind of competitive because then you can achieve, you can get these certain achievements and certain amount of score and you can compare that to your friends. Yeah, I mean, that's not, yeah, that's self-imposed competition though. And it's probably something that, again, the older generations aren't going to be as up for, I guess. Um, I don't know, I just forgot what's the point. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, I, it's it is something that I guess, and and as we should say that all of these things are surveys. So you know, this isn't the buy or the be all and end all yeah, rule for everyone. Is... There is going to be some people out there who maybe you know in their sixties and they love playing Call of Duty online, mm-hmm. and that's their absolute favorite thing. So it's a generalized sort of statement. Yeah, we well, do know though there are some facts we know about sort of the average gamer now that most people would think that the average gamer would be your um, you know young person playing uh, multiplayer shooters, but they're they're actually quite a bit older than that. The Average the um, Electronic Software Association in, or the Entertainment Software Association, sorry, in the United States, they run uh, the E3 convention. Um, they have a uh, an average age. Do you have that uh, age there, Mitch? Yes, the average age is thirty five, which it hasn't moved at all since I think the last statistics were taken about three years ago. Yeah, I think the twenty eleven report uh, showed the average was thirty seven or something. Oh, okay. Um, okay, but that's still pretty close. It's yeah. only within a couple of years. So. Yeah. Um, and you know, this, this, I think this, that's just because people have been born. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there people are lots of them. organizations putting together stats, and the uh, Entertainment Software Associations is a bit of a go-to, especially for the US market. But I mean, uh, a more recent one that I was able to grab hold of was 2015 Global Gaming Stats, which said the average gamer was 31. So regardless of who's exactly accurate, we're in the 30s. Like, that, the, the, the average gamer is in his 30s. Yeah, and there's also, you know, there's an average of two gamers per household and four out of five houses game on play video games. It's a lot of people yeah. who are doing it. It makes you wonder whether the high-profile um, multiplayer online games that uh, they are really pushing, the high-budget ones, are the games that the vast majority of people are really going to be playing and whether it would be better to kind of push it towards the people as their competitive interest wanes to maybe think about different sorts of games and we can another reason why i don't like to play online and, and in multiplayer and stuff is because i don't like kid chatter i don't like the cat chatter that all these kids are doing they're terrible <laughs> they're punk kids they're on my damn virtual kids lawn these days um and they're, they're your digital lawn. on my digital lawn <laughs> and with that let's go into our next segment get off it <laughs> So, video game sound is a massive industry, as we all know. Uh, the ever-growing technical quality of audio in video games has stretched out into how we consume real-world activities, such as sports, etc. Uh, this week, we spoke to Fabian Malabello, who's an agent for composers and sound designers working in the video game industry. So, my title is, um, I guess, audio director, 
managing director, yeah, somewhere between that. The other word agency is kind of like an all audio solutions company for video games. So we'll do everything from composition, uh, music licensing, uh, sound design, voice acting, even implementation, audio direction. If, you know, the game developers have like an in-house composer and sound designer, we help to bring out the best in what they do and match what they're doing to the, uh, the game that's at hand. How did you get into this field? Um, it was completely by accident. I've been in the music industry for more than 10 years, significantly more. I've been writing music for, you know, screen, uh, film, TV. There was just one time when I decided that I wanted to write music for a game. What the game needed that I had pitched for, I couldn't do any of that. And so I found somebody that actually could do it. And it just ended up being like a really smooth, awesome kind of process. The guy afterwards asked me, um, do you have any more work for me? And then I was like, huh. And the light, you know, flicked on and yeah. You have composers and sound designers in your ranks. Now, what's the difference there in relation to video game audio? Composers are music composers, so they'll write the original music and soundtracks to a game. Sound designers are the people that record, create, edit, mix and implement um, sound effects. There are also vocal actors who do their own you know, processing of the vocal sound effects that they do and then um, implement them into the game as well. So I guess sound design kind of spans across like quite a few different fields, but if I'm going to say composer, I'm referring to music. If I say sound design, it's literally to do with sound effects dialogue. Uh, so what do you look for when you're finding musicians? Within the game industry, for a composer to really excel, they have to be quite diverse with what they do. No two games should really be having the same soundtrack. For instance, if we're going to talk about music, you need to know how to make certain music work with certain games, and if it doesn't work, then you need to figure out you know, what will work and can you produce that. So to basically say what I look for is not so much the people who are significantly diverse across all the genres that game developers would look for. It's more so that I'm looking for the aces, the kings, the queens of their field, and if they're significantly exceptional with what they do in that, in those genres then I work with them but not just like good at writing music they have to be fast at writing it they need to never have a problem with their tool they need to know how to make something work with a game which is not just writing music it's in mixing and it's in actually instrument selection and everything so it's a pretty hard thing to break down like what I actually look for but there is a little special thing that I look for and it's not in many people to be honest and yeah most people think of me as like a bit of a bastard because like like, you know, I end up not being able to work with them because I can't, literally cannot work with them. What makes good game music? It depends on what the game is actually needing for the music because there are, there are cases where games, all they need is like a licensed track that's from a band. Like, I'm pretty sure Far Cry had this uh, track, was it by Skrillex? During, like, one, like, moment where you're just basically going and, like, mowing down a lot of people and the dubstep over the top of that was just mind-blowing for a lot of players. So sometimes it's as simple as just finding the right song that can kind of work with the situation. Other times, there are situations where, like, within the game, they have, say, like, a jukebox element where you actually have to find uh, 
a bunch of songs that can play, like for instance, Tony Hawk Skater, right? They chose those songs to create the character of that game. So if they just chose any old songs, you wouldn't have the same nostalgia that you have about Tony Hawk. There's so many different ways of having music in a game that it's hard to actually answer what's good for it. You know, it's really about the character of the music that they decide to place into a game. But if you're doing original music for a game, if it's like a game that needs an underscore, typically you need it to support whatever the gameplay is and it needs to actually encompass the atmospheric uh, character of the game itself. Like if we're going to think of Skyrim, you couldn't exactly have electronic music in that. You need an orchestral underscore to support that fantasy world, support what the player's doing in the game and immerse them into the game. And it's kind of hard because you have to write music in a way that's counterintuitive to writing a song. You know, you're not writing songs anymore, you're writing underscore. And then there's, uh, you know, games where they need simply like a over-the-top gameplay themes where uh, if we're talking about old school games like Mega Man got like the Dr. Wily theme and all of that like just completely like bombastic even though it's like chip music you can't imagine how explosive that kind of was at the time So you said you fend off a lot of hopeful musicians and, and sound designers. What makes a good muso for video games? Well, it's not so much that I fend them off, for one, because I definitely do want to educate more composers that are aspiring to work within the game industry. Uh, there are a lot of people who call themselves composers, but really they haven't actually thought about what's involved and they haven't developed their skills to be a composer they're a musician who writes music but far as profession goes they haven't really taken the first steps and if i can see in people who approach me that they have actually thought about becoming a composer by profession but let's say they're 10 years off even being something that could be uh, like a name that's significantly known within the game industry uh, i guess the equivalent of like you know success as a composer that's fine i'll see that i can identify that and I'll help them along the way. I work with a lot of people like that who have, you know, started to think about, you know, what they need to do to become a composer in the game industry and they've made these choices on their own and they started developing these skills on their own and I haven't had to say to them, you need to do this, this, this and this. So it's kind of like the whole um, help those who can help themselves kind of thing. A lot of people come to me and they want me to do everything for them and that's not feasible for me and it sucks because I would love to be able to, like, do masterclass or be able to do, um, uh, I don't know, just one-on-ones with a lot more people and just, like, educate everyone in the industry how to approach this. But uh, lack of resources, lack of time, I simply just can't do it. I'm getting to the point where I might be able to do that, you know, in the next couple of years. What are your favourite games as far as sound is concerned? There's so many good soundtracks out there musically and there's incredible audio design and uh, just audio scapes as far as modern games and old games go like uh, we we worked on um, this game recently with a hipster whale uh, Pac-Man 256 and we got given the original Pac-Man sound effects from Bandai Namco to edit and use within the new game so we added you know our own touches uh, well the sound designer is Christopher Larkin he's 
is uh, credible, like composer and sound designer. He basically got these sound effects, and we were both listening to them, and we're just like, how do you beat this? Like, how do you make this better? Because the sound effects that they made back then, I've never come across anything that sounds as incredible as those. And you're thinking like, but that's an old synthy sound, but whatever they did to actually make those sounds, no doubt took a lot of time and a lot of love. And <laughs> like, there was significant passion like that and skill that went into like those sounds. And it's just crazy to think that back then, they made something so masterful and like there's very few games these days that I hear as much detail put into what they did for that the saying that games like Alien Isolation the audio in that incredible music I'm a real fan of old school Japanese uh, video games so Castlevania Symphony of the Night the uh, soundtrack in that is just amazing like I love that one so much it's like super baroque early music kind of inspired uh, rock and metal and stuff like that That was Fabian Mamalabello of The Otherworld Agency, and you can check out his website at theotherworldagency.com. Fabian has been kind enough to give us some links and information for anyone interested in getting into music and sound for video games. Uh, and you can hear it. Uh, you can head to our website, uh, pixelsift.com.au, and check out the episode 20 information to find out all about that. The uh, music that we heard in the background there was off, off their uh, upcoming game, Obliterators, as well. So, do check that one out. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au Everyone's got a guilty pleasure and sometimes that guilty pleasure can be a movie or a game or something like that which objectively is quite terrible um, not critically acclaimed If you go on your uh, review aggregate websites it will probably have something pretty poor But Dating sims Despite that, despite Dating Sims, you may enjoy a game. And what we're going to be asking you and we'll be asking ourselves today is, can a game be so bad that it is good? Oh, well, absolutely. I think so, so yeah. All right, so hang on. So are we talking ironic design or are we talking <laughs> just a bad game? I think there's, a, there's an aspect of it for both. Mm. So some people will now try and make games which are you know, designed to be ridiculous or designed a to bit be... naff. Yeah, yeah, or they're designed to do things badly. Um, and then there's games that just do things badly um, and are still fun to play. So, you know, we have seen sort of a revival of this sort of quite difficult, quite sort of sometimes glitchy and um, weirdly designed games, something like, uh, you know, Goat Simulator, which is basically, a you know, a glitch simulator sort of thing. and it's takes so that sort good. of you know, the the jokes of like, uh, you know, whenever they brought in physics engines and all the crazy stuff that happens in a physics engine, um, you know, that sort of sort of game. But then you also have got games which are just, you know, haven't haven't quite made the grade. Well, one along that, uh, the poor physics and based on glitch kind of, or embracing glitch, uh, a game that I played heavily, which I love and also is a bit of a contentious one, Thrash Skate and Destroy. Don't know if you're all fans. I was a big skater back in the day, so loved it. Uh, anyway, it was a really good game. It was quite hard, especially compared to Tony Hawk. So, it wasn't as critically acclaimed or popular. But when you stacked it in that, like, your body just went nuts. Folded in half, legs flipping up everywhere. And it was really entertaining. That and the soundtrack was pretty dope. So, would that be, like, design or ironically, like, or bad? I like feel that. like it was done, um, it, you know, it was it was on purpose. Not yeah. uh, not ironically, because it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
taking the mickey out of anything. It was just a part of like you stacked it and you were just like and everywhere. But that was a really funny game in general. So they were pretty clever and onto it. It was definitely a choice. Yep. And there's plenty of other great examples of that where, you know, the you know, basically everything kind of falls apart. It just and- goes to shit. <laughs> but in the like, most hilarious we, of ways. A game we played recently is Screen Sheet. That that has a pretty fun ragdoll. Yeah, and and for the briefest moment, though, like the right pretty basically yeah. uses that particular physics sort of as a as a design joke. Yeah. No, screen sheet, not a bad game. No, actually, no, no. a fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. game. No, no, no. I didn't, but that's not what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah ridiculous yeah. Uh, physics done yeah. for comedic effect. I guess, and and you guess can, like, ironically, yeah, and you can see games that have used that uh, not for comedic effect, but just through the the way that they've sort of designed the game themselves. So. I mean, this is a term in uh, Japan, and I, I pardon uh, any Japanese uh, speaking people out there if I get this wrong, but uh, kusoge which uh, is for their cult classics, and it basically translates to shit game. And it's kind of- <laughs> I love that. It's, yeah. it's designed, and if you have a look at this, um, it is basically a term that is sort of to appreciate games that aren't quite the best game in the world, but they have a, a, a heart of gold, or, or, you know, maybe you think, oh, wow, this game has really touched me in a way that I, you know, or, or potentially for a lot of games that I would have played in my youth, um, they're games that you probably wouldn't have another opportunity to basically play anything else. So you love the game you're with, yes. not the one that you're you're hoping for. Yeah, exactly. Um, not uh, when I was not a very young game, I guess, for me myself as playing it because it was only a few years back. But Dynasty Warriors, it's a you know just a hack and slash. But I loved that game and I poured so many hours into it. I don't know which one. A couple of them actually, to be fair. Um, any Tony Hawk, I guess after number four, I feel. It got a bit cheesy and crappy after that, but you know the gameplay is still the same. The gameplay is probably just as gold, if not better. But yeah. do you know? I was thinking of a. Here's a good example. So we did the profile for the earlier thing we were talking about gamer motivations, and one of my gamer motivations is to be a completionist and to right. collect as many things as possible. So as part of that, I picked up a game that was uh, on Steam. And it was part of the much maligned and much hated uh, Games for Windows Live, which linked into your uh, your PC games into the Xbox Live achievements and oh, gave God. you achievement points in that. So one of the first games I picked up on, on Steam uh, was a real-time strategy game that I cannot even remember the name of. And it wasn't a great game. It was quite... I mean, I'm of, a, of the Blizzard era genre of, of uh, real-time strategy people. So you've got pretty high standards when it comes but to I, RPS. But I played through it. And I tell you what, it still has a place in my heart. As something that was kind of a big part of my first Steam experience, which sort of led on to other things after that. So. Yeah, well, we had a debate earlier, well, a small debate. I, I said Driver 3. I oh. wasn't impressed with that, but you guys loved it. I, that was a I game that's yeah. a great completion. physics. To that completion. did have good physics, yeah. And for me, like because I played Driver and Driver 2, it was the first of the drivers where you could actually, you know... Um, it, you uh, get in. You could do the real word stuff like GTA kind of thing. Um, I can't think of yeah, the bloody word. Get, get in out of your car. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, and yeah. Shoot people and stuff. I can't remember what Driver Two stopped you at. I feel as if you couldn't even get out of your car in Driver Two. I know you couldn't in Number One, mm. but in Two possibly you could, but you couldn't actually do anything. It was just like a novelty. The first Driver actually that came out on the PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation back days. in the day, even yeah. before Driver Three. That was one of those games where you would just randomly clip something and your car would be flipped into the air and you'd be spinning for like 30 or 40 seconds. Especially randomly. if you had the burn up button on all the yeah, time. Yeah, and you would just be, sometimes you'd be just driving down a normal road and all of a sudden, clip, you've ripped through a building, you're now falling through an infinite space until your car eventually hits a point and you, you basically respawn. So. Tony Hawks was a big one for yeah. that with me, just to bring it back. Glitch City. Um, other terrible games, I guess. Uh, the. Quop. The, the South Park game on PlayStation. 
Um, I played the 64 one a lot more, uh, and apparently that was a lot better than the PlayStation one, but this, the PlayStation one was terrible. It got terrible reviews, and I don't know anybody that liked it. Um, but, you know, South Park, big, big, big name, especially and in those years. Another, uh, another, yeah, exactly. South Park was a, a high value brand. It still this is. is. This is like pre-Family Guy, pre yeah. all the, it was Simpsons and South Park. That was the kind of it. Uh, speaking of sort of tie-in games, one of the games from the PlayStation 1 era that my brother was absolutely obsessed with and my, uh, me and my other brother, I've got two brothers, uh, and would always try to wrestle the controller out of his hand. Um, he used to love the Rugrats in Paris game. Oh, wow. Uh, and that game was Glitch City 2. Uh, it, it was... He loved it. Yeah. He loved it. He was right within it. And in the age, you know, bracket and the audience bracket. But, um, yeah, it was just a game that, you know, had, had a heart, a place in his heart, basically. Um, and one that has a place in a lot of other people's hearts, which I might get a bit of flack for because I hate it, uh, Duke Nukem. <laughs> terrible game um, based around terrible plots and ideas and cheese. It's a cheese fest, in in my opinion. And again, go Nintendo 64. I think was in, the worst. Just terrible. I, I think th- in like the when was it made? Like in the 80s, right? Wait, no, wait, wait, mid 90s. Originally, mm. yeah. Like that was like all those jokes are like funny still. And then like when they remade it in what 2000 and I think. Yeah, it did. 11, I think. Yeah. yeah. It was just like not funny. It didn't keep well. Forever, didn't, yeah. yeah, it didn't make the transition over into the, the, the modern the day. The best part about those Duke Nukems were those pre-orders from like 12 years prior. Yeah. And like the people holding up their receipts and like there's like, I'm wondering whether they'll get, we'll get like the receipt renewed or like valued. <laughs> yeah. Very, um, very interesting. I feel yeah. like all casual social games, anything that's on a Facebook game, uh, is in this uh, category because, like, they are bad. We all know they're bad. But so many people play them constantly, like, because to an extent they are good. They reel people in and keep them coming back. And it's not because they're a good... Well, it's not because the, the, they're the best games, but there's something good in them, obviously. Well, there's got to be something no? in them because of the people are playing them. They've got to have some value in there somewhere. Mm. Even true. if we don't see it, somebody is. Very, very true. We're hoping that you've seen a bit of value in us and we've got something in us that will keep you coming back. <laughs> we just lost our listeners. That's where we're, <laughs> we're coming I, up I to the- Driver 3. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're coming up to the end of this episode. So thank you very much for joining us again for another episode of Pixel Sift. This has been our 20th episode. We've done this for- 19 episodes previous to this and this is now the 20th one thank you for joining us um, we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be as usual we'll be putting links up on our website which is pixelsift.com.au we've got some links up there from Fabian thank you very much Fabian for providing those to us Scott where can people find us on social media uh, Gianni they can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift twitter.com forward slash pixelsift twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift and youtube.com forward slash pixelsift au and Mitch people want to listen to other episodes where they're going to yep so you can go to our site to stream the episodes or subscribe to our podcast on either itunes or pocketcast or you can use the rss links on our page if you are all about those and if you want to give us a rating and review on itunes that would be fantastic uh we've also got a steam group so join up on there find it all we, have a steam on group? we sure do i should join that we should de- <laughs> you definitely yeah you definitely should uh that's all we've got time for so we'll see you guys again next week us. how do you join the steam group <laughs>
If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 